forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. All right, this is it. This is how a podcast starts. Thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you for being here in your homes. I appreciate it. Um, what I'm going to do is go around and ask you to introduce yourself so the listener knows what you sound like. Um, and also tell us someplace they might have seen your name or your face on their television screens. And Ashley, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Ashley Nicole Black. I'm the girl voice. So very easy to distinguish. Uh, you may have seen my name and my face on Full Frontal of Sam B, a Black Lady Sketch Show. And I'm also a writer on Bless This Mess and Ted Lasso, which is coming to Apple Plus TV on August 14th. Good plug. Uh, Good plug. <laughs> plug. <laughs> um, my name is Yasser Lester. Uh, I also have a girl's voice. Uh, <laughs> just a different kind of girl. Uh, uh, you see me or my name on Black Monday on Showtime or Duncanville on Fox. Uh, other thing, I mean, go, just Google. Just like, <laughs> you know, some of it's impressive, some of it's not. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> That's everyone's career, though, right? You've been around long enough, you've worked on some things. <laughs> some of them you're a little embarrassed about, yeah. some are kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kirk. Uh, um, Kirk Moore. Um, I, I, I don't know, you haven't seen me on anything, but um, I've written on American Crime, 13 Reasons Why, Runaways, um, and I'm currently on For Life, season two. Great. Um, we were talking briefly before we started just about, it's such a strange feeling, uh, Ashley, you mentioned, to be so busy and yet not leaving your home. <laughs> Um, so I really like, I just want to start by checking in with all of you and asking what you're doing right now. You know, I think you're all staffed or, or working on stuff. How are you like keeping your day, keeping your work life sane, keeping your home life sane, eating well or not? Like what's, what's going on? And anyone who wants to jump in to start. I'm definitely not eating well. Um, so. <laughs> There's a popcorn maker behind you. <laughs> yes. I, um... I have gained 25 pounds since March, and I don't necessarily regret it, but um, I've gained a lot of weight. I mean, <clears throat> I, I guess, you know, for the majority of COVID, I was developing. The majority of, you know, the first half of the year, I was developing, and, um, and then I ultimately sold that show to Fox. And then in, in between that, then I got staffed on for life. So working both of those kind of at the same time as I develop um, what I hope to be my own show on television and then working in the room on for life. I mean, that's kind of my life. I don't really do much else outside of like cook and eat. So that's, <laughs> that's it. But that's, I mean, I've done a couple of Zoom rooms since March and like those are intense. They take it out of you. And it's hard to sort um, of climb out and work on your own stuff after that. Yeah, I I tend to be a morning writer. So, um, like, typically I'll start to write before our room even starts. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
you know, and then once the room starts in it's but yeah, it's a little it's a little more draining than being in the room. I don't know if everybody else feels that way, but it it's out it it takes a lot more out of you. And I think because you have to be focused, because there's no like, let me go to the kitchen, let's talk about there's none of that stuff. Yeah, you're sort of always on. Um so Ashley, you're in a room right now. Um is it a similar situation? And what kind of hours are you keeping? Like this is this is a half hour show, right? It's not a sketch show, so I imagine it's sort of intense room time. Uh, well, a sketch show is ten times more intense than is that a half right? hour. <laughs> yes, really? I mean, it's only only late night writers look at half hour writing as like a nice chill break. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, get up really early so that I have my part <clears throat> of the day to myself as early in the morning and my dog and I like take a long walk in the morning and that's when I go on Twitter and do all that stuff. And then we're in the room, you know, most of the day. And then I'm also writing a feature. So that's what I'm doing at night. So I've really like carved out that early morning time as my time to like have to myself and not be thinking about what some character is going to (laughs) do. That's great. And are you, are you able to switch gears from that room time and the time for someone else's show and work on the feature? I try to like build in something that will make me switch my gear. Like if it's go for a walk or I'll stop and watch a half hour of television or watch a sketch or just do something to like get my brain into another mode or talk to my mom, <laughs> talk to like every day. Um, who's also buzz with Yasser, by the way. Uh, I was just, I didn't want to shout her out, but she is the best. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to have her on the pod, she has a lot of thoughts about how Hollywood is run. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I, my dream is to do a spouses and parents of writers. Oh, I'm dying to hear great. about it. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, man. <laughs> man. Um, but th- that makes sense. I mean, having that kind of sort of thing you can do to end one piece of the day and start the next part of the night. And how late are you going? Like, time is meaningless, right? So how late are you going at night now? Oh, I go to bed at 1030 every night. And people tease me about it, but I have a bedtime. <laughs> I don't do this writing all night. <laughs> yeah, I don't do the writing all night. I used to. Now, like, after I'm out the room, I might give it a couple of hours. But, like, after, like, really after 4 or 5 o'clock, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I've done the work I need to do. But I probably spent, like, three hours before I even started the room, like, working on something else that, you know, that I didn't have to, that was a side project or something. So it's just kind of a, a balance, and you just try to fit it in your day. Absolutely. Um, yes, sir, are you back in a room right now? Yeah, uh, I'm writing on a cartoon, an adult cartoon, whatever, uh, <laughs> for HBO Max. I just mean, like, because cartoon, you assume, is juvenile, but it's, like, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, but I'll say this, like, just to backtrack a little bit. I know some people are pro-Zoom. Some people are anti. I'm very pro in the sense that, like, and maybe I'm just lucky, but the first Zoom room I was in, I was writing on... Uh, I was writing, it started in February. The show's not out yet, but, you know, the COVID madness happened in the middle of all that. Like, not even in the middle, at the very beginning. We, like, started writing, like, mid-February, and then by mid-March, we were, like, in Zoom. I personally, A, like, I just think there's, 
in any circumstance, being at home is better than being at an office. Like it just, <laughs> like it just is. Uh, I, and again, I haven't experienced it yet, but I've found that people tend to be more efficient. Kind of like yes. to what Kirk was saying is like, you don't want to like sit around and like, what, like do a share screen to like make everyone watch a YouTube video. It's like, who cares? Like, yeah. I, like granted there's, there's a little bit of like, you know, like I only have written on comedies and then like one sort of dramedy, but like, uh, you know, the bits of it are kind of lost sometimes, but it's like, okay, we can figure out jokes later. Like, let's just get this done and be done in a timely manner. Like we're already at home. Uh, and like, I, in terms of everything else, like writing after or before, like I've found, you know, my birthday just passed a little bit ago and like, granted I'm older, but I do feel like that pressure to write every day or every moment for me is kind of gone in terms of like when it happens, I'll write for three weeks straight and I'm like, cool. But like, I'm also not going to force myself to, you know, just like sit under a lamp, like, you know, like I just don't, I just don't have it in me. Like I am (laughs) every night, but it's like, I'm up late because I'm like painting. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I will say that like in the, quarantine of it all like and hopefully other people are experiencing this too but there is like the freedom to be centered again like this is an industry built completely i think built completely on the ability for those who aren't creative to take advantage and like pull creatives where they want them right you're so busy all the time because someone's telling you to be here then be here and like you're kind of just doling out money to people because like they are trying to justify their jobs in one way or the other. Right. And like, this has kind of been the first time we're like, you know, and I know Kirk's not on screen, but like me and Ashley, you know, do pretty well in front of the camera. And like you, you had all these people before being like, you need to be here on top of writing this. And then you have a thing for this. And like, you know, there, there's so much pulling back and forth, but now it's like, you can't do those things. And it's nice to just be able to sit with yourself and like, recalibrate what is the actual goal versus the idea of like keeping your face out there because hopefully that leads to something and instead like you know like Ashley's doing a movie and it's like that we know that's always been part of her trajectory you know what I'm saying and like now there's not the distractions of you know granted we all miss like of course like probably getting dressed up and going somewhere dope but also it's like her movie's going to be dope. And then she can just do that when the time comes for that versus like, you know, right now going to like, you know, a fucking like herbal essences, like branded (laughs) party at like some night, like fake nice bar. Like it's all so stupid. Like anyway, that's me. I never get invited to places like this. forward to the herbal carpet. I look forward to that every year. And also we, we want to thank Herbal Essences for sponsoring this show. Yeah. Um, also I could I the fact that I couldn't think of another company. That's what is you pulled out. Great you don't even make back it right? to 2003. <laughs> but there is there's something to what you're saying, Jasper, where like having this time um, and the restrictions that we have um, has sort of clarified 
what we want to do in many ways for a lot of us um, because it's taken away the hustle. I know right. for a lot of us, it's also added to the anxiety about right. whether or not we'll ever work again, but it's taken away the active hustle, which leaves you time to actually make stuff, to write a feature, to you know write that new pilot, whatever it is. And also the parts of that hustle that maybe we didn't need to do. Like I found out I don't need to drive to Santa Monica. So I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I actually made like a, yeah, I made a vow like not to drive to Santa Monica after being in a room in Santa Monica. I was like, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Are you in the Valley? No, I just like, it's actually not even that bad. I'm in West Hollywood, but it's like, I can't believe that I would like be sweating over parking and running into an office to have it's a 20 minute crazy. conversation with someone like, can you tell me your idea? Okay. Now that you've told me, do you want to do this IP then for me to leave? But <laughs> Instead that's, of driving for an hour going <laughs> <really> home. <laughs> you're, but you're exactly right. And that's to my point is that like, these are the only like flexes of power these people had for such a long time is like, come to me, sit in my office, be uncomfortable in my chair. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because these are all the tricks of the trade to like, you know, get you off your game or whatever it is they're trying to do. They're not trying to get you off your game. Essentially, they're just trying to find a way to make you work for them. That's all it is. 100%. You- right. So like, I do think that like now, like for me, especially like, I, you know, I, I would call myself a little outspoken and like, <laughs> <laughs> but I say all that to say that like, especially in my house, like you are not about to like punk me or clown me or like any of the things that they try to do at these meetings. Like you're not getting it while I'm sitting at home. You know what I mean? And like, so like the idea that like, and I'm going to be, you know, part of my language an asshole for a second, but it's like, Ashley don't need to drive to Santa Monica for y'all. She doesn't. Kirk doesn't. Ben, you don't. Like everyone is established enough that it's like, why, why were we doing this anyway? And now, especially it's like, People will be lucky, lucky if we meet up at some point somewhere public. Because it's like, <laughs> it's, I, I just don't, I, I just don't see. Th- there was so much of it that just got stripped away in a very interesting way. Yeah, that, like, yeah like, I, I think oh, it'll be wow. interesting though, because I think some people do like room culture. So I think that some rooms will probably do like once we are able to like be around one another again, they'll do like a half and half thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't see everybody going full Zoom room because I think that a lot of people, especially like older showrunners, they like Zoom. I mean, they like the room culture. And I could be wrong. But that's that's for writing. I'm talking about when you go on these meetings. Like me and hopefully, true, just going to be, you know, hauling over to the beach so you can... (laughs) So you can give me a this bottle of Dasani, and I know this all sounds ungrateful, and that's not the point. The, the ungrateful part is that they know they're wasting your time, and everything is convenient for them, and is one hundred percent inconvenient for you. And it's like we're done doing that. You know. Well, what I'm let, like, let me ask the the bigger picture on this is: Do you think that this will have a leveling effect in the industry? Do you think the fact that you don't have to necessarily move to LA? to have these meetings. You don't need to cross town. You don't have to have a car to have these meetings. Do you think that this will provide opportunities to folks who have not had those opportunities in the past? 
I'm curious about that because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying like, oh, maybe if you're doing a Zoom room anyway, then why can't I be in a room from Pennsylvania or Michigan or whatever? And in theory, yes. In practice, I think that's going to be a tough sell for some people because part of it is vouching for people. Because when you're creating a show, you're creating a culture and you're inviting people into this culture and you want to ask their last showrunner or whoever they worked with before, Hey, do they touch butts in the room? You know, like we, we need to know. <laughs> so if you're in another state, um, it may be harder for people to vouch for you. That being said, if we're never in a room together and safety is not an issue, then maybe it does open up. I don't mm-hmm. know, but I feel like there is a huge culture in LA of like finding out who knows you and people kind of checking up on you. And that's tougher to do if you're not here. Knowing yeah. You. Yeah. I, I think it's like in, in our room, we have people in like in LA, I think Philly in New York, you know, all on zoom. But again, all those people got their footing in Los Angeles and they made relationships in Los Angeles. So I still think that you're going to have to, uh, if, if you have a script or a spec and you live in Milwaukee, like you still have to get that to some agent or to some producer or to some manager that is going to probably be in Los Angeles. And yes, you can do a lot of the stuff through Zoom. But again, like vouching for you word of mouth, like if you haven't worked on a show before, so no one, there is no one to vouch for you. And so they don't know it how you're going to even be in a Zoom room, which some may or may not be comfortable with in the first place. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting. I'm definitely not, I'm not sure, but I think there'll be some, I mean, some people are definitely going to make uh, adjustments to what they've been doing in the past. Yeah. yeah. Ashley, you mentioned, you know, there being this culture of television and, um, you know, each showrunner tends to create that culture within a show, not even just in a room, but with an entire production very often. Um, overwhelmingly, that culture of television has been white. So uh, all three of you, and the reason I really wanted all three of you together uh, is because I follow and love you all on Twitter, and you've, been, you've, all had, you've all had a lot to say about this culture of whiteness in television and how the obstacles you know, conscious or not, have been thrown up in the way of the non-white writer, but specifically the black writer. Um, And I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, where you've seen that, whether it's in, you know, your own career or, you know, just in being, from being in the business, um, and where you think it's going. Those are two big questions. So let's start with the first one. What have the problems been? They they are myriad. Let's see what we can call out. <laughs> Ooh, who starts? Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think that I always say I've, I've been pretty lucky to have been in some really like actual good rooms. So I don't have very many personal horror stories or anything like that um, about being in a room. But I will say that you know, I, I often speak about the lack of black men in rooms. You know, I've been on shows where there's, there are two, three white men or white women or black women even. Um, sometimes I, it's only, I've only been on one show with two black men and I've been on several shows, you know what I mean? And that, and so 
I think that for me, you know, it's like, why aren't, you know, these black male writers getting the opportunities to staff and to also move up in the rankings? But the difficulty is there are 500 shows or however many shows there is. There's only one of us in all every room. And when there is more than one black male, I would say, it's typically when the showrunner, at least in drama, it's typically when the showrunner is black. Um, and so I don't know if it is because they feel like two black dudes are going to just think the same. And so I think that is part of it, um, as you know, because I've heard the idea of, well, you know, I hire on diversity of thought. And then you see, you know, a writer's room of 11 white people. And it's like, OK, well, what? And, and then they could all think differently. But it was like there were there were no black people that you could find to fit your 11, 12 room staff. I just, I find that, eh, I, I just, I can't get with it. Yeah. Just real quick, like mm-hmm. I, as much as that argument on paper and through logic absolutely makes sense. The issue isn't that it's, they don't care. That's what it comes down to. Like it has nothing to do. It's, it, it has nothing to do with finding people. Cause like, I'll say that I started my career on a black cartoon. It was this cartoon called black dynamite on adult swim. There was one white person on it. Everyone else was black. It was all black women and all black men. You know what I'm saying? And then like, I've been lucky enough to work on a, a bunch of other black shows. And it, it is my personal preference to make sure that like, if, like I've been offered like a quote unquote white show and black show at the same time. And I've always taken the black show because I feel like a, you owe it to not just like your career and the people that you came up with, but like you owe it to audiences to then that to me is a diversity of thought a little bit. Like I know I'm a light skinned dude who talks like this. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I 100% get who I am. So like people aren't looking at me as like, you know, the hood dude or whatever. And I, I get that, but it's like, because of that, I also have a different type of joke structure that I would put in. Exactly. Or whatever. Exactly. But, but this idea of like, what is the problem? How do we name it? How do we, it's like everyone knows the problem and the issue is, is comf- being comfortable. That's all it is. It's like, do these like white showrunners, do they want to be comfortable? Yes or no? Because truth be told is like, and again, and this is me from personally knowing Ashley, like, if something comes up in front of Ashley that she doesn't agree with, she says something about it. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like she comes at you and is screaming, but like a lot of times that is black people, you know, like black people are like, yo, I don't necessarily, unless, you know, like we are timid or it is our first job or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But then that becomes an even greater issue is because like so many people get forced into this, like either I'm going to be the person that says something and then I potentially don't work again or I stay quiet and then I'm just the quiet black person who makes it through the ranks. You know what I'm saying? That's right. another reason why I work on a lot of black shows. It's like I don't want to be I, – I never want that have, – have that thought. You know what I'm saying? Like I would rather just get fired and then be able to go back to a black show. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's the fallacy of it because truth be told, like – and this is something that happens – amongst black people and other minorities more but like why do minorities racial minorities tend to hang out with why do they have more racially diverse friends like it's not it's not just black people just hanging with black people or latinx people just hanging out with latinx people usually everyone's mixed in some form or fashion i'm not saying that it's uh you know one-to-one for everything 
But like white people only hang out with white people a lot of times. You know what I'm saying? And the idea again is comfort. And that's, mm-hmm. it's the same mentality in the room. It's out in the world. And so like at this point, and me and Ashley have discussed this like off camera or off podcast or whatever, but it's like, if that's your thing, cool. But you have to give black people the sit. You have to green light the same amount of black shows that you are green lighting mm-hmm. for white people. That's what it becomes. You know what I'm saying? Like we need the actual opportunity. It's like, okay, if you're not going to hire us, let us hire ourselves. But we can't do that if you're going to make nine versions of like, you know, friends in a city trying to make it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just... <laughs> yeah, so black people you worked on one of those shows. <laughs> yeah, black people, black people live in the city. Not, like, acor- not according city. to friends. Yeah. <laughs> but I really love the point you made about comfort because I read every year. So every year UCLA does a study and I look at it every yes. year and it's just fascinating. It's just so interesting the way they break down all, and all of the information is provided by the studios themselves. The studios have right. this information. Right. <laughs> it's UCLA and UCLA just, you know, collates it and everything. And basically what they find is both for movies and television, the closer the diversity of the people making the show is to matching the diversity of the U.S. So, you know, 50% female, 13% black, the, the numbers that make, the closer the show gets to that, the more money it makes, the better the ratings are across the board wow. every single year. They've been doing this study for, I think, like 10 years. 10 years. The studios pay for it. The studios give the money to UCLA to do it. And then they, they open it up, they read it, they go, oh, look at that. If we hire some black people, we'll make some more money. They put it in a drawer and they green light <laughs> and seven. And so it is, it's not about, I think people feel like this is an education issue. It's not an education issue. It's not a lack of access or anything it really is you know what yes are saying is like this is a comfortable way for me to make television and i like doing it this way even though i know i would make more money doing it in a more diverse equitable way and 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 i think that just to your point ashley i think that goes to two things one is like behavior in the room and being comfortable with a certain type of behavior in the room so if you are comfortable with that and that has been your career, then you're going to hire people or you're going to keep the friends that you know who are going to be okay with those certain types of behaviors. And on top of that, like you talked about the inclusion report that we get every year. I post that thing every year and I am just, I'm speechless about like, you look at this and you're like, and they break it all down between men and women. They, They don't separate people of color, which I still annoys me because that doesn't show like who actually is being impacted if you don't break it up between black, um, Latinx, um, Asian, um, Native. Like we need to actually see that so we can see like if people of color are rising, is it because, you know, um, Vita was an all Latin room? You know what I'm saying? So, of course, numbers are going to rise because there, there are people who are making shows like the Selena show where their entire room is all, you know, is all that next. So that, that's what that is. And so those numbers are going to rise. But so I think that they get these reports. But at the end of the day, writers hire writers like we hire each other. Like so we can make all these reports. We can blame studios. We can blame producers. And yes, there's packaging involved and there's business, all this stuff. But y'all know how this works. Somebody call you up or send your email, be like, hey, are you working? Or are you da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Or you know somebody who's available? Like, that's how this works. 
So it's riders hiring riders. So I can't get with like people finger pointing when I'm like, why aren't we finger pointing ourselves? Like we hire each other. So there's 70 percent of some odd of white male writers who are not hiring us. That's who we need to be talking to. Like that is in the actual stats and the facts that those people are not hiring these people that those things are easily. And yes, you can put all the different things, the studios, the agents, the, all those things, they all come into play. Packaging comes into play. But at the end of the day, we hire each other. And if we're not hiring each other, then we need to challenge each other and ask each other, why the hell aren't we, why aren't you hiring me? Or why aren't you hiring somebody who looks like me? Why can't two of me be in a room? Because I guarantee you me and Yasser think we're black dudes, but we, we don't think the same. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's silly. Yeah, <laughs> you know let, me, what I'm let, me, let me correct exactly you. Let me correct you. <laughs> I, let's, I'm going to finish your sentence. <laughs> we don't think the same. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's, it's like crazy to believe that if, that I know in my gut that some people think, oh, well, if I hire two black people, two black guys for the show, well, then what am I, what am I getting? Like, they're going to give me the same thing. That is dumb, and it's also racist. Yeah. So, well, also, yeah. and I, I mean, like, and I, this is actually us thinking differently for a moment, just to go back to something you said earlier. Because <laughs> I'll say that, like, on the show, on the shows that I've worked on, I've at most worked with two black women, even on black black shows. Like, and and I will say that, like, it, it's it's hard for black dudes. But they also, the people in charge, the ones that are hiring, can get their, like, black Harvard nerd. They can get their, you know, male nerd. You know what I'm saying? Like, they know, like, they know to hire the one with the white girlfriend. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not, they know the tricks. So, like, the, I, I would say the thing, and this is why it comes back to comfort to me, is that because they know they can hire those dudes and those dudes will stay quiet. And I know that because I've seen those dudes stay quiet when something crazy has come up. But it feels like the idea of being challenged by black women scares them so much, even though black women are per capita the most highly educated people in the country. They're like, we can't do this because they don't like it's it's a I think it's a masculinity problem. I think it's a race problem. It, it is the true intersectionality of like everything that makes someone uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And so like what Kirk's experience is that like he's been on shows with multiple black women, like truly the most. Like and I, I'm trying to think like even Carmichael's show like I think was one maybe two. And, really? and yeah, I wonder if that has to do with comedy and drama. I wonder that too. But we had hella black dudes on. Yeah. Uh, but we still, it was like, and that was a very mixed room. Like the showrunner was a Latinx woman, Danielle Sanchez-Wetzel. Like uh, people below her, like it's like Mike Scully from The Simpsons, who's very white. But then like Aisha Carr, <laughs> who's very black. And then me and Willie Hunter. And like there was black, there was a lot of black people in that room. But there's also white people. It's like he, Gerard wanted it that way. But like on Black AF, you know what I'm saying? Like that was the most I'd ever worked with black women. And that was three, you know what I'm saying? And like, that ain't a t- in a room of 12, like wow. granted that is a, you know, it's a quarter, but like for me to have like, and not to say that I have like the grandest career, but I've been in some, you know, in 
pretty big shows and worked on some pretty big things. And like to be like that is the most I've ever worked with black women feels crazy, especially because the show's not the show is focused on Kenya. So it's like not even like if it were like a if it were like an insecure, we could all go like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, of course. But it's like to me, and I know people have their problems with Kenya, but it's like he actually does the work in terms of being like, who can I represent that is the least represented? You know what I'm saying? And like again, to me there's the inherent inherent stereotype of like what a black woman will do or what a black woman will say or like what a black woman will, you know, and I, this feels crazy. And I hope Ashley, you don't feel like I'm speaking over you, but uh, <laughs> um, I, it's just my personal experience. It's just like, there's a weird defensiveness. And again, it's like, the, it's, it's an inverse of intersectionality where they're like, they're black and a woman. Nah, like, you know what I mean? Anyway. I do. I mean, Kirk, Kirk mentioned this, and, and I do wonder thing, too. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it is a question of comedy and drama, and I wonder if you know comedy does does fear that intersectionality, and if drama, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys can speak to this better than I can, having covered I, both. I mean, again, I listen. I mean, the comedy, the drama room, excuse me, that I've been in, yeah. Like again, I can only speak for those. I've had the the most uh, three black women also, but like again, two black men, and then typically it's just me, like mm-hmm. just me. Um, and so uh, again, you'll be in a room where there are three white women, and then one black guy, three white guys, and maybe you know like a you know someone who as who's Middle Eastern or descent or something like that. Like, and that's, that's kind of it, like on the, on the drama side. And I think a lot of that has to do with the idea that two black of two black men potentially challenging a white showrunner. Like, I do think there's a fear in that. The same thing that you're serious saying about black women, I think the same thing in drama for black men. Um, because I look at all the shows that we have and I'm like, I just don't understand how I have been able to bounce from show to show to show and not end up on any of the shows with any of the other black writers or male writers that I know, because there aren't that many of us. You know what I mean? But we're all scattered around as the one person or the one checkbox on a lot of these people's, you know, um, inclusion menu. Yeah. It is also, I think, um, in general, a lot of showrunners seem to not be hiring black people. And then the ones that are seem to be hiring the same five black people (laughs) over and over again. (laughs) But like when the protest started, I promise you, I got like 10 job offers. I was like, how many shows do you think I can write on at a time? There's other black people. I promise you. And I give them names every time. And then I just sort of wait and see if they hire anyone and oftentimes they don't, it's like, it's these five black people or bust. And you can't say that you want to solve a problem and then call Ashley Nicole black. Like you need to call someone whose name you don't know. And I know that's like a really arrogant way to phrase that, but it's true. Like if you knew my name, when you heard there was a problem, that means I have a job. That's why you know my name. You need to go out and find someone whose name you don't know. Like as and as Yasir pointed out earlier, like part of the thing of them doing their job 
is to be actively like not just taking meetings that last 30 minutes when they just want to tell you about some IP is like them actively seeking out talent and seeing what the hell is out there. Like that should be part of the gig is that executives need to get to know people. Now, again, we have our own work to do or you have to do your work to get your name out there. But we can all help each other. Last year, I invited a lot of executives over to my house. I invited a bunch of black male writers because I was like, I would love for them to meet you all before they read your material because like that makes a that makes a difference. And out of twenty eight, I think twenty eight people that were there, twenty eight writers, I think twenty of them, twenty six of them were staffed oh, in, a, in a, within a couple of months. I mean, it's just like we just need the access sometimes. You just need the opportunity. The problem is we rarely get the opportunity unless we give it to each other. Yeah. I think there's, there might be some good advice here for, you know, right, that, that's helping people to surmount this, com- this discomfort they think they're going to feel. Um, and you were able to do it, uh, Kirk, by introducing writers to executives. What can we say to other non-showrunners, to agents, to executives to, you know, help them find more writers. Um, (laughs) But but that's the thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ashley. Oh, I just very quickly, because you mentioned when um, the agency campaign was going on, that was actually a really beautiful time I saw writers helping each other. And one of the most helpful things, a writer that I, to this day, have never met, (laughs) we've only communicated over text. Um, I, you know, fired my agents, as we all had to do, and... I didn't know what to do. And someone was like, oh, this guy is reading writers. And, you know, if he likes your work, he'll pass it around. And he ended up introducing me to his lawyer. So I have a big time fancy lawyer now. And that was like the biggest career blow up, just like having that lawyer who, I mean, truly he was laughing at me. He goes, I've never argued over this little money before. And I was like, well, welcome to having a black woman client. Let's go get this money. Um, But yeah, it was like a huge glow up. And that was just a writer reading my little 30 page pilot, which isn't a huge time commitment and introducing me to a lawyer. And that is an easy thing to do. Introduce people to your agents, to your lawyers, because the question is really about access and mentorship. And if you're like a white dude who graduates from Harvard, there's going to be a lot of people who are like willing to be your mentor and kind of shelter you along. And for people who don't have that access, what, is that little piece of the puzzle you can help them provide like, oh, you need a lawyer, you need a manager, oh, you don't know how to get your foot in the door here and I can just give you this quick, easy advice. Like, how can you do those things for other writers? To me, the realness of it is everything needs to be shut down for white people for like a year. Like, (laughs) I, and I mean it sincerely, like, do not read another white person script like white people should not be reading any white people script for like six months and i mean that sincerely because by inherent bias of what you're going to like culturally and the tent poles that you have all that stuff you're gonna be like oh well i get this it's not about what you get anymore you know what i'm saying like i from the the moment i got a job in writing and i mean this sincerely i've always made sure to a read more women's scripts than i read men's and pass those along and b make sure that i hit one of every group every single time like you just got it you know what i'm saying it's like and i'm not the person to be doing that but i do it you know what i'm saying like a because you don't know what you're gonna find and b it's just the way things should be you know like if you are truly diverse 
And if you cannot, if you can't do that, you know for a fact that you can't do that and be like, okay, who are the most represented people in this country? White people. Who are who are the most represented people in this industry? White males. I'm not going to read anything from them for six months. And I like, I know, I know it sounds like big and maybe incendiary a little bit, and it's not meant to do that. It's just more like, how else are we going to level any sort of, you know? Uh, Make some systemic change. Yeah, like it just, it feels insane to me that like we're constantly having these conversations because again, it's like everyone knows what to do. Everyone, you know what I'm saying? Even the thing with like Ashley's lawyer, it's like, and again, luckily because I got a manager through someone else when I was super, not super young, but when I was like kind of coming up, I did get a good lawyer. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that you need. You know what I'm saying? Everyone focuses on the manager or the agent and all that stuff. And it's like, those are nice. You need a lawyer. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, you do. You can just get taken, you know? And like, to me, and like, I I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse too much, but like, at the end of the day, it's just like, are we like, are we going to sit around and ask questions all day about like what to do? Or are people actually just going to do the thing that, they need to do you know and like it, it really is just like again like the ashley example it's just like that's what you need to do just do that you know what i'm saying like just do that for everyone because again like white people do that for each other all the time like a deadline does a best stat best writing scripts for harvard graduates like i just did y'all know that like i just no. haven't seen that recently deadline does an article it's like these are the top 10 graduate comedy scripts coming out of harvard and i'm like this is like the we're not even y'all aren't even getting a head start anymore it's like you're at the finish line (laughs) already you're You're in deadline one more step it's the craziest thing you know what i'm saying like you're in college at you know uh, anyway sorry that's that's my rant (laughs) also in addition to that it's like look at the thing that's interesting to me is like every time this conversation is had, um, not this one on the podcast, but globally, everyone goes, I'm going to hire a black PA. I'm going to hire a black writer's <laughs> assistant. And it's like, that's great. Definitely do that. But if you are someone who's maybe part of the problem, your first thought to do is probably not the best thing. So think to your second and third thought. And there are a lot of mid-level writers who get stuck in that mid-level. So everybody wants to help someone enter the entry level. Let pe- People are going to do that. Let that happen. Why don't you help people in that mid-level? And that Black writer who you worked on a show with two seasons ago who was great, who's still a co-producer or whatever, um, let's see if we can get your show sold. Let's see if I can introduce you to a friend of mine and say, hey, this person's been an executive story editor three times. Um, they're great. You should hire them. And you should go ahead and hire them as a producer or a co-producer and not make them repeat any more levels or make up for the levels they already Exactly. Repeat. Yeah. I want to um, throw this. T- I want to throw this. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, finish it. Go ahead and finish it. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I want to throw this to Kirk um, because specifically you had talked about this um, both in the paper and online about how black writers are getting hired, but they're not getting promoted. And uh, you yeah. know, they're often hired, like there was all this diversity program stuff, which hopefully is changing, but speak to that a little bit, please. I mean, when you look at that inclusion report that we've been talking about, like you see, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like 
it was like, you know, white and then people of color. And the, it was like 45, 47 or whatever, some whatever, something like that. It was very close. As once you get to the top, it's like 17 and like like 73% and then like whatever the subtraction is. What I don't get paid to, um, to add and subtract. <laughs> but like, so that tells me that people are like that, those mid-level writers that Ashley is talking about, they're not one moving up and they're also not getting their own shows. I mean, that's part of the way that we can solve a lot of this is that if we act, you're going to solve the 73% of it being white male showrunners. If people like me and Yasir and Ashley get our own shows that we can actually run and develop and hire and do all those things. That's how you're going to change that. So whether it's a studio, whether it's a network, whether it's producers, like they're going to have to start to meet with us as creators and not just as people to check off a box and just to hire in a room. They're going to have to promote people. Like I know people who've been stuck at staff writer three times, executive story editor three times, like that type of stuff has to stop. Like we have, we can't let people, and that's where your lawyer and your manager comes in also is like, no, this person is not like the contract said in season two, they would be bumped up. Like now you're like, well, because of budget, because it is because of nothing, like bump that person up and figure it out or don't hire them. I mean, and nobody wants to be without a job, but it's like, you're going to have to, there's a reason why black people or people of color are having to repeat over and over again. And it's because a lot of people are like, well, I got to settle for that because I don't want to not work. You know what I'm saying? But if there were people like us and not saying that we're going to exclusively just hire black people or whatever. But the thing is, is that I know that our shows will probably be about some part of the black experience that will that will um, where we will need more writers of color or more black writers in the rooms. A lot of the shows that are created, especially some of the stuff I watch on some networks, I'm like, ah, I know there are no black people in this room. and there's no reason for it because this is not for us. You know what I'm saying? Um, do you think that, you know, the uh, executives or buyers not meeting with black writers as creators is part of, yes, or what you were talking about, this fear of discomfort? Yes, but it's, it's different. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like having black people in the room, specifically black women in the room, creates for them this and i've heard them say it you know it's like like and i'm not gonna use any of the words but it, you know it's always just some dude being like oh you can't even say this thing anymore and you're like why why do you want to say it that bad whatever this thing what? like so why funny. do you care why yes. do you care like you know what i'm saying it's like yes i mean like you know like anyway it doesn't matter like we were all ra- like not all of us raised using certain words but there's like certain things that you know were funny when you were nine years old that like you just don't say anymore right whatever but like people are just like i just can't believe you can't and you're like i can because we're 36 years old <laughs> like why why right yeah but that that's the fear in the room right that it's gonna be a budding of that head and that it's much more direct the reason they don't buy shows to me again is like there's cultural shorthand with everybody, right? Everyone knows, you know, like me and Ashley and Kirk can 
talk about something from all of our childhoods that are completely different that all have the same unifying thing. You know what I mean? And like that, when you are the person who has the money, like I, here's the thing. And I mean this sincerely. If a bunch of like, I, I don't know, like uh, uh, indigenous Alaskans, I don't know the proper name anymore, but uh, they will say indigenous Alaskans, right? Like, here's a story about us and like how we grew up and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, I'm not going to lie. I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? But like the next step would be to go to someone else and go like, yo, I don't necessarily get this, but is this like, what does this do for you? Is this, is this interesting to me or not interesting to me because I don't get it or because like it's objectively not interesting and or interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like to them, it's like they can, they can do a show about like a white dude with a podcast and just take a chance on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not joking about this show. I'm joking about that sitcom that came out a few years ago, Yeah, but but they can take that chance because they go like, well, we know what a white podcast is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but like, if it's like Ashley's, for the sake of argument, it's like Ashley's specific black woman experience being a landlord at her apartment complex. For the sake of argument, that's her show. They'd be like, oh, but how would a black woman even, oh, and uh, how would she get a loan? And oh, how could she fit? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's all these you know, like... All these things where it's like you wouldn't have even thought about that if I was like, his name is Jerry Frank. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cross your mind to have that thought. But again, it's like they, because visually the person is not them, there's like the, the uh, common denominator has then been wiped out in the common. And it, it goes back to truly the biggest problem of all of it is the dehumanization and the idea of black monolithism, however you say it, uh, being uh, the black monolith and or and on top of that dehumanization of black people. That's all it comes down to. Because like at the end of the day, like again, I don't know any indigenous Alaskans, but I would still recognize them enough and respect them enough to go out of my way to be like, let's figure out what this is. But if you don't see someone as you, then you don't take that extra step. You know what I'm saying? And so like that to me is it's a different version of the same problem which is the confrontation it's just a different type of confrontation and then uh, and a lot of and a lot of i'm so go ahead nicole i was say i think like um even outside of race for studios and networks if they don't know how to sell something it's easier to say no than to like figure out how to sell it and so if there isn't something that they can very easily point to and go oh this is just like that and we'll use the model we use to sell to sell that to sell this like when i first started every meeting i had they would like you know kind of narrow their eyes and look at me and then be like oh you're like amy schumer was always (laughs) amy schumer um and i i love her i love her work we are not similar comedians by any stretch of the imagination but it was like we figured out how to sell like a smart, raunchy woman before. You're kind of a smart, raunchy woman. If we can sell you like that, this will work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I'm not going to like pour myself into Amy's mold. So no. Um, <laughs> but the thing that's interesting is like where it becomes a racial thing is there are black shows, black comedians, black movies that are huge successes. 
was like, look at what a huge success Black Panther was. Any other, when Iron Man comes out, when Aquaman comes out, it sells the huge, they make 10 more Aquamans. Black Panther comes out, where's Black <laughs> Panther 2? Even when there is a proven way to sell it, they still sometimes don't try to replicate the success. So that to me is where it becomes, it becomes about race when you can, when you can point to something and say, there's an example, do it just like that. And they still are like, it's a risk. Which is crazy because per dollar, per capita, per household, whatever the exact breakdown is, is black people spend more money on entertainment. Yeah, Latinx people spend the most and we're second. Like, and we're just like in a place where it's like our lives are so bad that we are physically throwing money at you to to just make us forget. And you're like, but we're still not going to do what y'all want. Like in any other industry, that would be considered crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like if you had, uh, for the sake of argument, even 40%, let's say 40% of your restaurant revenue came from a specific type of, of uh, clientele. And they're like, we're just slightly suggesting maybe some plantains. Maybe you could throw some plant, And you were like, we're going to add three more burgers. And it's like, why would you do like, it, it also doesn't cost you as much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's so insane to me. And yeah. that's when it becomes to me about the dehumanization of it you know where it's just like you really don't recognize the humanity in another person it's really it's really interesting to me by interesting i mean i will buy, i'll buy one of those <laughs> flamethrowers <laughs> um before we wrap up i want to ask about um rooms or even development situations where you feel like it was a good model for the future where things were being done well done right. You felt like you were getting the experience that you wanted out of it. I will Uh, say this show that I'm working on now is the first time I've worked with a male showrunner. I've only worked with female showrunners. I've had a very different career. And once you get above 30, 40% women in a room, rooms get real joyful. It's just like women are, you know, this is a vast generalization, but enjoy listening more. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's just, there, especially in comedy rooms, a lot of times there can be a competitive energy of like, my joke, my joke, my joke. And the more women there are in the room, the less of that energy there is. And that feeling of being like, oh my God, your joke was amazing. That's the best one. Wait, wait, wait. Did you guys hear what Jane said? Jane said something really smart. And that is just to me a more joyful way to work. So um, I think you just have to get more than 40% women in the room (laughs) and you will have a better time. That's great. Yeah, yeah, Kirk, what about you? I mean, listen, my first room was American Crime. And I mean, I really like pinch myself all the time. I mean, John Ridley is really smart. He, there was no like, you know, there's a hierarchy in TV, you know, staff writer, um, story editor, executive story editor. And one of the things he said, he's like, there's no hierarchy in the room. I want the best ideas. So like from jump, he, he made everyone in the room feel comfortable. And then also he wanted to make sure that all the people that worked on the show and wrote episodes got to produce those episodes mm. so that they would have that experience. So I think that like allowing writers and, it, and it's it, it's going to be difficult in COVID, of course, because like now there are no, there's no video village and sets are tighter. But like finding ways to like 
you know, really incorporate writers into the actual business of it so that you understand, like when you're a producer, like how to write to budget or you can look at a board and be like, whoa, this is way too many beats. Like this story has to be shrunk. This story has to be shrunk. Like, like those things, you have, even if you're a great writer, you still have to learn those things about storytelling. So just like making, like being uh, someone, having someone in the room who really actually does like writers and who wants to see them succeed just in the way that they have and not see the other writers in the room as maybe competition and see them as just, hey, these are the best seven or eight scripts that I read plus people that I met and we're going to make a really great show together and I'm going to make sure that they learn everything that they can on this show. I mean, that's I've gotten that experience pretty much on every show, but it started out on American crime and I've just been able to do that on every show. And I've been able to learn more. Like when I got on runaways, like I, I was able to learn about special effects and green screen because they, uh, not, I want to say allowed, but they wanted me to be involved. And also like, I want to be involved. And so I'm going to let you know, like, I want to be involved in this. I want to learn this. I want to learn how to do this shit. Like I want to learn how to do this so that when I do have my own show, like I'm not running around like looking crazy. There are a lot of people that are, you know, that came up with me or whatever who got shows really quickly and learned very fast that like maybe I should have staffed a couple of times before I jumped into this thing because being a showrunner is not easy and it's not just about running the show. You have to read every script. You have to look at the edit. You have to do that. You have to manage personalities, like all those things. And so like I, I think that like, being a giving showrunner and being a giving upper level helps out a lot in a room. Yeah, I think it's great, especially for new writers to give them that that entry into the business. Um, let's wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones, the room that you're in? Yes, sir. Let's start with you. Um, I mean, all the shows I was watching they were just streamers so it's like once they're over they're over but i really loved uh devs this season which was on fx hulu watchmen of course was phenomenal uh i really enjoyed never have i ever it was like this netflix mindy kaling teen show so good i really loved uh i truly think that in terms of a show that has gotten exponentially better with every season insecure has done a job that that hasn't been seen like in decades i would say like it's truly phenomenal um god what else i mean it's hard like i started watching that show dark on netflix uh what else what else i don't know i feel like i need to keep a list on my phone because people always ask me this and then i just go 90 day fiance i panicked it it's it's so children uh, what? Um, but yeah, those are the those are the ones that like come off the top of my head. Oh, and I mean, I, I sorry, I just I have to say it. I may destroy you is the best show on television right now, like hands down. There's See, I need to I need to go ahead and just I need to just go ahead and just watch. Just Nothing is it. even close to touching it. I mean it sincerely. It is the I, it's mind blowing. I mean that sincerely, but uh, uh, yeah, and then you know uh, HBO now or HBO. Max has every episode of Fresh Friends, and I watch four episodes of Fresh Friends every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Kirk, what are you watching? Um, I just finished Godfather of Harlem, which 
no one i mean i didn't even know existed but oh my god it's phenomenal but it was so good i mean like oh so so good so i just finished godfather of harlem i've been doing a lot of movie watching lately mostly because i'm dipping my toe that is the world that is the world of features and so i've been watching a lot of movies and i thought i'm in the middle i was actually watching spotlight while we were um before i got on here um which is white but, moonlight by the way not a lot of people know that. <laughs> 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 um Sorry. let me see tv what else i i watch insecure i i, I agree with everything that you just said it has literally gotten better every season in just even just in the way it looks the cinematography and style like it just has gotten so insecure um uh Watchmen also i really 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 love um gosh what else these are good answers i feel like i've been, like I've been watching so many movies i, I and <laughs> like so like right now because i am on episode like because i am writing i typically have to have something that's kind of background noise yeah. but still good so i might go to his golden girl so just like he does like three or four episodes of fresh prince <laughs> i do like four you know i do like four or five episodes of golden girls just to like oh get God. get get myself moving <laughs> or just judy or just judy <laughs> sure I, I don't know why i didn't intuit that um ashley before before we hear what you are watching on television listen emmy voters uh, a Black Lady Sketch Show is nominated for three Emmys, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Best Sketch and Director and Guest Star. Vote for it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all I had. Uh, <laughs> tell me what you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, so talking about the thing you have on in the background, on Disney Plus, they have these tiny documentaries where it's just someone who works at Disneyland telling you about their job. Yep. And they're like, yeah, I make, <laughs> I make cotton candy. And I just put that on while I write. And I'm like, look at her. She's so happy making it. Um, <laughs> they're, just, they're lovely people. Um, but I'm on a sports show right now. The show that I'm running on now is about a soccer team. And I know nothing about sports. I haven't played soccer since literally I was eight years old. So I've been watching all the sports documentaries. So I watched The Last Dance, Cheer, um, which everybody knows about those. They're excellent. There's one on Netflix called Sunderland Till I Die, which is um, about a soccer team. It is the most riveting television I've ever seen. And I truly like, I'm, I have no interest in this topic and I just couldn't turn up. Like there was one night where I stayed up all night trying to find out if this coach was going to get fired because he didn't win enough games. I was like, who am I? <laughs> That's great. So, that's what I've been on. Every sports documentary uh, that's available, that's what I've been watching the past couple of months. Speaking of documentaries, I just watched this documentary called This One's for the Ladies about black male strippers. That oh, is my God. Crazy. I've seen that, actually. And, uh, what, what service is that on? Oh, uh, um, I think it's... I think you can just watch... I think it's, like, just um on, like, one of the... I believe it's on Amazon. Is it Amazon? Yeah, it's called This One's for the Ladies. Because it's a little little cheaper. Like, it's definitely... (laughs) I don't like it. I don't don't want the lighting to be too good. I want the real experience. 
no, it's a doc, it's a it's a documentary and like like goes into their lives and like why they became. But I mean, it doesn't like skimp on all the good stuff. And it's like so a you want to watch a lot of like female pimps in it. Like it was, oh, it was yeah, there. yeah, because there was a female um, who presented as a male who was a male stripper for females. It's listen, it's yeah. it it was. I was like, okay, I can write a TV show about this. Yeah, I mean, you call it D Valley. <laughs> no, no, I would call. It, there was there was this whole this dude gave this this one of the girls or one of the people in the thing gave a monologue and it was all about like, um, like you know what we do is we create like a blah 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 for people and it's an illusion and I was like that's what it's they gonna be working at a club called Illusions the show is called Illusions <laughs> like I already got it get out there go sell it uh, thank you all so much for <laughs> thank you all so much for chatting today we really appreciate it. Um, please come back. This was this was great. Love seeing you all. Thank you, Ben. Thank all you. Right. Have a good day. Bless. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.